You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Sometimes we get put in a place where we feel like we're being bombarded with bad. Bad things happen to good people. I don't know why. I can't understand why. And I've always been taught when I don't understand, I can't, when I don't understand and don't know what to say, I need to go to something I understand. And what I understand is God is love. And then that might not, might not be sufficient to help you at that time, but that's all you can go to. When you're in something that you don't understand, go to something that you know, that you know to be true. God is love. Unfortunately in life, bad things happen to good people. In today's message from Pastor Dave, he expresses with you the question as to why God allows this to happen. However, he encourages you to always remember that God is just and that He is love. Ultimately, God will work everything according to good. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 7 as he begins his message, Witnessing Through the Patriarchs. We are in Acts 7 still. We are going to be looking at verses 9 through 16 today. Stephen is speaking. And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, And our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time, Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to the Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem, and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. So we're witnessing through history. We're witnessing through history. That's what Stephen's doing as he stands before the council, the Sanhedrin it's called. Last week we witnessed through the history of Israel, and Stephen's beginning this long, long history lesson. We said last week that this is the longest address or longest speech in the book of Acts. And it's probably one of the most important. He's going to review with Israel their history. And he's going to make some pretty poignant statements about their history. We looked at witnessing through history. Today we're going to be looking at witnessing through the patriarchs. The patriarchs of the nation Israel. So let me begin today with the question, what is a patriarch? What is a patriarch? You might think about that a minute. What is a patriarch? Well, originally... A patriarch was a man who exercised autocratic authority as a paterfamilias over the extended family. What? He's a man who exercised autocratic authority as a paterfamilias over the extended family. What this simply means, and it means that the patriarch is one with unlimited power. 
and unlimited authority over a family. That's what autocratic means. This may seem negative in today's society, where a man might be that powerful over a family, and you may be having visions of the Godfather running through your head and things like that, someone who has that type of power. But this was God's plan for the nation Israel. This was God's way of building a nation, and he used men. The term pater familius comes from the Latin meaning father of many families. So the patriarch was a father of many families. And what we didn't mention first service was there was also matriarchs, women who were mothers of many families, strong women, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel. These people were matriarchs. The term, I said, paterfamilias comes from the Latin meaning father of many families, but the system of such rule by these men, these senior men, is called patriarchy. And the Greek word for this comes from patria, which means lineage, descent, especially on the father's side, which comes from the term pater or pater, which means father. And, the mean, and it comes from akron, A-R-C-H-R-O-N, or archon, which means leader, chief, ruler, king. Interesting, when I first saw this word archon, A-R-C-H-O-N, in the Greek, I didn't think of a leader. I didn't think of a chief. I didn't think of a king. I thought of an anchor. I thought of an anchor immediately, and that's really what a patriarch was. They were the anchor of the family. So as the patriarch went, so the family followed. And it was very, very important that they respected their patriarchs, that they did as their patriarchs told them to do, and the patriarchs became the example to the family for both good and bad. They became the examples of the family for physical needs, and they also became the example of the family for spiritual needs. And in my heart, I believe that's what men are made to do in this day and age that we have right now. Men are supposed to be the spiritual heads of the family. They're supposed to be those that decide and take a spiritual leadership in the family. So I think that's very, very important. And you can look at Scripture and find that in Scripture. In Scripture. So who were the patriarchs? Well, I can name 15. The first three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were the three ones who basically started the nation of Israel, and they lived in what is called the patriarchal age. This word patriarch was originally in the Septuagint, and it's a Greek word because the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is where we get the word patriarch. So it's these men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as I said, were not only the physical leaders of the family, they started the family, and from their seed, the family grew, but they were also the spiritual leaders of the family, which was very important. They were the anchors of the religion. They were the anchors of the religion. They founded the religion that is known today as Judaism, and their descendants are known as the Jewish people. We call them the children of Israel. But I said this first service, and I got some eyebrows. It's basically incorrect to refer to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as Jews. Because the name Jew came from Judaism, which came later. It came much later. Judaism is the religion. They were the, they were the people of Israel, which was the name of the nation, Israel. But I said there was only there was 15, and I only gave you three names. There's 12 more. They happen to be the sons of Jacob. They happen to be the 12 tribes of the nation Israel. You know who they are? I'll tell you. Reuben, Simeon. Levi, Judah, Zebulun, Ishkakar, Dan, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, 
Joseph, and Benjamin. These are the ancestral tribes of the nation Israel. These are the ones that the tribes were formed around. Now, Joseph is the father of two of these tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. We're not going to get into various divisions. You need to go back to our study of the book of Genesis to find all that out. And we studied that in depth last year. But these are the patriarchs that Stephen's talking about. Because you notice when we read in scriptures today, he said, our fathers. Our fathers. He wasn't really referring to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, although they were the fathers. He was referring to the 12. The 12 sons of Jacob. So let me try to catch you up a little bit. In our previous study, Stephen is now standing before the Sanhedrin. He's standing before them. His face is shining like an angel. They're gazing at him steadfastly. They can't take their eyes off of him because he's standing there in all of God's glory, and God's glory is shining through him. He's standing there fully submitted to God. We know he's full of faith, full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit. We know all those things from Scripture. But he's been accused of blasphemy. He's been accused of blasphemy, not only blasphemy of the law, blasphemy of Moses, and blasphemy of the temple. We read about that in chapter 6 of the book of Acts. And so the high priest sets all these things in motion when the high priest asked the question that Stephen was waiting for. Stephen was probably waiting for it, sitting there thinking, I can't wait till I get to tell my story. You ever feel that way? I can't wait till they ask me the right question. Oh, I can't wait. And so after the charges are brought against Stephen, the high priest looks at him and goes, are these charges so? And I can just see Stephen sitting there wringing his hands going, oh boy, now it's my turn. Okay, get ready, Israel, because here it comes. And Stephen starts to lay into them and lamb blast them. Remember, the high priest here is named Caiaphas. Caiaphas is the high priest here. He is the same high priest who was at Jesus' trial. So you know his mind's already made up. His mind's already made up. Now, Stephen is standing before the Sanhedrin. His face is shining like an angel. He has no idea what's in store for him. In fact, last week when we studied, we think that he basically doesn't really have an idea of what he's even going to say until the Holy Spirit gives him utterances. As Jesus predicted, stand before the magistrates and kings, open your mouth, and the Holy Spirit will come out. The Holy Spirit will speak for you, and they won't be able to resist you. We read that in Acts 6. They couldn't resist what Stephen was saying. Stephen now uses his opportunity, his only opportunity to speak to the Sanhedrin. Every day of our lives, I firmly believe that Jesus gives us opportunities to speak to others. Every day of our lives, I believe we have divine appointments that are arranged by God for us to speak into the lives of somebody else. We speak boldly into the lives of somebody else when we talk about Jesus and try to witness to them for Jesus Christ. But the one thing that speaks more loudly than anything else to people's hearts is our lives itself. How we act, what we do, what we say. Because remember, if you're coming in there with this great big tag on you that says, Christian, everybody has an idea of how you should act. Everybody has an idea of what you should do and what you should think. So they're all looking at you. And if your walk doesn't match your talk, there's going to be a discrepancy here. And people are going to start to wonder. And they're not going to give you much credence for what you might say. Every day, the Lord gives us opportunities. In fact, I challenge you. Pray. Tomorrow morning when you get up out of bed, pray, Lord, open a door for me that I might witness for you today. Open a door. Bring somebody my way who needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can guarantee somebody will come your way. I can guarantee you'll be given a chance to speak of God's love. Beatrice and I do that many times. We'll sit there and pray, and then the, our day is filled of people coming our way who, hear the mess, who want to hear the gospel message. They don't know they want to hear it, but when you start speaking it, they can't turn away. 
They're there. So pray about it. See what the Lord will leave you. I believe he wants to do it every single day. And if you walk in the Spirit like Stephen was walked, man, it's going to be wonders. You're going to have all kinds of things. And I don't care what the circumstances are. I don't care if there's great circumstances or there's bad circumstances. God wants us to be witnesses of him. Sometimes the best witnesses come out of bad circumstances. What? Sometimes the best witnesses come out of bad circumstances. We're looking at one right now. Stephen's in a bad way. Stephen's in a bad circumstance. And guess what? It doesn't end well for Stephen if you haven't read the book. It does not end well for Stephen. Well, let me take that back. It does end well for Stephen because he gets to be with the Lord. But he, also, he gets stoned to death. I hate to spoil the book. Sometimes bad circumstances come into our life. Sometimes things happen to us that we don't understand. Sometimes things happen to us that hurt. This world is rough. It's cruel. It's nasty. Sometimes we get put in a place where we feel like we're being bombarded with bad. Bad things happen to good people. I don't know why. I can't understand why. And I've always been taught when I don't understand, I can't, when I don't understand and don't know what to say, I need to go to something I understand. And what I understand is God is love. And then that might not, might not be sufficient to help you at that time, but that's all you can go to. When you're in something that you don't understand, go to something that you know, that you know to be true. God is love. But circumstances are bad. Stephen's in a bad way. Stephen's in a bad way. I don't know if he's thinking, is this going to end in my death? I don't know if he's really thinking that. I don't know if he really cares. But I'm reminded of something here. As we looked at Genesis last year, as we studied the book of Genesis, we got to chapter 50, which happens to be the last book. Jacob is now dead and, and buried, and his sons think that because they sold Joseph into slavery, that Joseph is going to get back at them. Joseph is going to get revenge, and they're afraid, and they're worried. And they come to Joseph, and they're kind of trembling, thinking, uh-oh, he waited all this time, now dad's dead, and we're going to get our comeuppance. And Joseph says this beautiful passage, this beautiful passage in Genesis 50, verses 19 and 20. Joseph says to his brothers, do not be afraid. For I am I in a place of God, but what as for you, what you meant for evil against me, God meant for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people. Wow. You may have meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. Wow. Imagine that. After all Joseph's been through, Joseph had a pretty rough life. Go back to chapter 37 in the book of Genesis and read all the way to the end. Joseph didn't have an easy time of it, gang. Joseph had a tough, tough life. We're going to look at that in just a little bit. When I look at this statement of Joseph's, I'm automatically drawn to the Apostle Paul, who also did not have a very, very nice Christian life. You can read about him in the epistles. But Paul writes this beautiful, beautiful thing. And I've met many of you have it hanging somewhere in your house, maybe on your refrigerator, or it might be your verse that you claim. Many of us claim it. And you know what I'm going to probably. It's Romans 8, 28. It's the same type of passage that Joseph just got finished. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Notice the Scripture says some things. Notice the Scripture says a few things. Notice the Scripture says every once in a while. No. The Scripture says all things. Now I challenge you. It says, and we know this. It says all things. If we don't believe this, if we don't believe this is true, go to Romans 8, 28, rip it out of your Bible and throw your Bible away because if one word is not true, then the whole thing's false and we need to give up. 
That needs to be where our faith is. Look to whom the promise is made. The promise is made to those who love God. Those who profess a love for God and are the called according to his purpose. What is God's purpose in our lives? To be born again. To come into a living hope. To come into a relationship with him. That's God's purpose. He has called all. For God would not want anyone to perish. But all to come to the knowledge of Jesus. So that's his purpose. Have you done that? Then you're the call. You've been called by God. We've been called to accept Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. That was the payment for our sin. The payment we couldn't make. I overdrew my account with my sin, and they came collecting. I couldn't pay. Christ said, don't worry, I've paid it. I paid the price by my blood. When you know this, it doesn't change circumstances. Can't but it's got to change here, how you feel about the circumstance. All right, I'm not saying circumstances don't hurt. Please, I'll never say that because they hurt. I've been through some really rough times myself, and they hurt. But the peace of God that passes all understanding in my heart will get me through those circumstances, get me through those times, and I can look forward to it. Unlike those who don't have Christ, who in the middle of a circumstance are running around along, ah, what am I doing? What am I supposed to do? Oh, my gosh, and they're yelling, and they don't know what to do. Where you're walking around going, yeah, okay, it's going to work. All right. You have faith that it's going to work out together. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know what's going to happen. But it makes it more bearable. Here's this example we see in Stephen. Stephen has no idea what's going to happen to him. He's in a bad way. He's standing there all by himself in front of all these men. They think there was about 30 of them or so. And he's standing there looking at them. There's priests. There's Sadducees, Pharisees. And there's my buddy, young man from Tarsus named Saul. He's in there looking down at there thinking, well, I can't wait to get my hands on this guy. I can't wait to give this guy what for. Saul, the great persecutor of the church, it says in 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 and 14. Saul, the brutal man, he declares himself to be in Acts 9.1. You know at the, end of, at the beginning of chapter 8 in Acts, he stands there with the coats of those that are stoning Stephen, holding them, and it says he's consenting to their death. Saul. But God works all things together for good. You hear me? All things together for good because Saul is looking out here. He's hearing Stephen's testimony. He's watching Stephen die. And guess what? On his way to Damascus, something happens. He meets the one true living God. And all that witnessing that had been going on before, he falls to his knees and cries out, Lord, and is saved. The apostle Paul becomes. Satan meant what happened to Stephen for evil. But God meant it for good. And I have one more example for you, and it's the best example I could find. And it's the only example that matters in our life. The cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ was meant for evil by Satan. Satan was going, I got him. Yes, sir, I've done it now. He's hanging on that cross. God meant it for good. The cross was the most horrible, grotesque form of execution of its time. There was none like it. And Christ Christ hung there and suffered and died so that we wouldn't have to. He was forsaken so we wouldn't have to. God worked the cross out for good. God worked the cross out for good for us in our lives. Because God's glory shined down on that cross, shined through that cross as Christ yelled out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the entire sin upon the world fell on him. And God looked away from his only son. The first time they were ever separated. God looked away because he can't look upon sin. He looked away. 
That's what Christ did for us. That's what Christ did for you, for me. And it looked so bad. The apostles all thought it was bad. They bolted. They ran away. They went around because they thought it was bad. It was over. It was all the end of the story. How many times did Christ say, I have to do this, but I'm going to rise again? They didn't even hear him. They didn't believe it. Stephen is standing before the Sanhedrin full of Holy Spirit. He's full of faith. He's full of wisdom. He's full of power. And he comes against the council and he starts to speak against these accusations of blasphemy. Stephen begins to witness through their own history. And last week, he told them that you've misunderstood your spiritual roots. You don't know from where you've come. You believe that the land that you got, this land was the promise. The materials that you have, that was the promise. That was the blessing. When in fact, the promise is the actual presence of God. It has nothing to do with land. It has nothing to do with material. It's the actual presence of God. He said, just because you're Abraham's descendants doesn't mean you have a spiritual superiority. Doesn't mean you're going to come into the kingdom of God. Abraham came in by faith. You have to come in by faith likewise. And I remember we stood here and we said, just because your mother and father are Christian doesn't mean you get a free ride. Just because your father was Billy Graham doesn't mean you get a free ride. We all have to come individually by faith into a Messiah, into a Savior. He said, don't expect it just because your forefathers, your patriarchs. And then he said, you trusted in your traditions. You trusted in your rituals. You trusted in the customs of man to save you. You trusted in works. And it's not works, it's faith. Sola fide, faith alone. That's the only thing, the only thing that will allow you to come in. And it's really interesting to me that it's no coincidence that we just studied that in Matthew 3, verses 1 to 12. We studied those very same things where, where uh, John was telling the Pharisees and the Sadducees that you, you're relying on your father Abraham. You're relying on your father Abraham for salvation instead of relying on the one that would come. It says in Acts 7, verse 8, when we end last week, it says, Jacob begot 12 patriarchs. These are the guys that Stephen's now going to address. He's going to talk about the 12 patriarchs. As we begin our study for today in Acts 7, verse 9, it says, And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph to, into Egypt, but God was with him. You remember last year when we studied the book of Genesis, how much fun we had going through that? And how we looked where Joseph's oldest brothers were angry at him. They were jealous at him. I mean, after all, Joseph was kind of like a little tattletale. He'd go out through the um, sheepfold. He'd look around and see what the guys were doing. He'd run back and go, Dad, you know what those guys are doing? Yeah, he did rat on them now and then. But Dad loved them. Dad absolutely loved this guy. Made him the coat of many colors, remember? And Joseph has all these dreams. And he goes, and he, then he tells his brothers about all these dreams. You guys are going to worship me one day. You guys are going to bow down before me. Even mom and dad are going to bow down before me. What? You know, Joseph really didn't know how to make friends and influence people. So, you know, he, he just spoke what he thought. But all this came true. All this came true that Joseph was speaking about. And you know that they sold him into slavery. And they convinced dad that Joseph was dead, that he was attacked by an animal. So you see, Stephen is saying, so see, the very beginning of the patriarch, the very beginning begun on begrudging. People begrudge those that had abilities. You are You've been listening to Pastor Dave on A Sure Hope. Pastor Dave is working his way through the book of Acts. Did you know that the first martyr for Jesus was a great man of faith? His name was Stephen, and he was bold and courageous to proclaim the name of Jesus to others. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth, even when it cost him his life. What courage in the midst of opposition. 
Do you think you could do the same in this day and age? It's hard to stand up for Jesus when everyone around you is telling you you're intolerant, unloving, and just looking to put people down if you tell them they're doing something wrong. But what makes things right or wrong is firmly rooted in Scripture. It's God's Word that should direct morality, and Stephen was unafraid to go there. If you like this message and would like to catch up on any message you may have missed, head over to AsureHopeRadio.com. There you'll find many messages from the Book of Acts, as well as other series. If you find yourself in the Cape May, New Jersey area, stop in and see us. All the information you need is on our website, location, directions, and service times. And if you prefer to call, you can do that too. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that's 609-884-5821. We'd be happy to answer any questions over the phone. Well, that's all we have time for today, but we've loved spending this time with you. We look forward to the next edition of A Sure Hope. Oh